This is Transistor.fm. This podcast is sponsored by Active Campaign. They have a customer experience automation platform. What does that mean? Well, if you're looking to hype up your next product launch, you can send segmented email campaigns that build up anticipation before the product goes live. You can head over to activecampaign.com slash build your SaaS right now and start a free trial. With that URL, you get a second month free, a free migration from any other platform, and two free one-on-ones. Hey everyone, welcome to Build Your SaaS. This is the behind the scenes story of building a web app in 2019. I'm John Buda, a software engineer. And I'm Justin Jackson, and my pecs are sore. I feel like my voice is scratchy. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, or it sounds different because I'm wearing different headphones. I don't. Your voice does sound a know. little bit. Does it? I should have made some tea. A little bit different. Yeah, just a little bit. Depending on the phase of the moon and depending on anything else. The quality of the air. I don't... Yeah, Yeah, the quality of the air. I don't know. Your voice can sound different. The folks at home... Still got to get that new microphone. Oh, yeah. Yeah, did you order something yet? Not yet. I, um... I asked on Reddit what folks would recommend for your voice... And I can't remember what came out. Yeah, I looked at a few things too, and it said condenser mics are not good because of because I'm not in a professional space. Yeah, condenser mics and dy- are like dynamic mics are better for like potentially noisy places. Yeah, so a condenser mic, the most famous is the Blue Yeti, um, and actually even the Blue that one that you've got there. Those are yeah. both condensers. They have two problems. One is they suck in all of that noise from the room and from outside. Uh, they also tend to be quite bassy, so they're going to amplify the bassiness already in your yeah. voice. There wasn't there was an Audio Technica. Is that the right brand? Am I say that right? Yeah, they have one that's like it's like reasonably reasonably cheap, mm-hmm. and it's USB and XLR, so I don't necessarily need to get. One of those rigs, you know, you got up the mixer. I don't yeah. need a mixer right away. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Yeah, the, I don't want that much gear. Yeah, so the, you have the option. Yeah, those mics are the ones we recorded with in Portland. Um, the Audio okay. Technica twenty one hundred. Yeah, and yep. it's really good for folks starting off. Actually, the one that people recommend now as a replacement to the Audio Technica, which is still a great mic, is the Samson Q two U, which is similar, uh, even a little bit more cheap. And uh, the sound quality is even uh, a little bit better. So interesting. Yeah, a few options there. You should you should order a mic though and do a side by side comparison. Uh, yeah. Either the twenty one hundred or the Q two U. Just see which yeah. one you like better. I, actually, and one thing about mics, as someone who listens to a lot of podcasts that get submitted to Transistor, I think there's. Two things I would recommend. One, get either of those mics that we just mentioned and get a pop filter because the plosives, the, the P sound, um, is the thing that will uh, most negatively affect your sound. 
And I was recording, I recorded that Honey Badger ad, their first ad on Trent, on our show, in my closet with a Blue Yeti. And I couldn't believe how many of those plosives, those P sounds it picked up. But okay. just by putting a, a screen in front of the mic, it really helps. So... Yeah, what what are we talk? What's been going on so far? We started our shaping, our official six week cycle. Our six week cycle. Yeah, we uh, put it off a little bit because we had a few things to finish. I guess I yeah I've spent a couple days doing it so far. Yeah. So, right? When did I? Wednesday? Maybe yeah, two, three, two and a half days. Yeah. Um, I think it's so we had a. We had another shaping call on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's kind of went over a, f- a couple more unknowns and sort of made a few stories that we could made, – made some stories in Clubhouse that we could then use to sort of have a conversation about. Yeah, they're kind of like anchor points. I, I think there has been a question about tools with all of this stuff. I, I, I keep listening to other uh, podcasts like in our space – and lots of people are talking about Basecamp's shape-up process. A lot of folks are like, okay, we're going to try this. We're going to do these six-week cycles. We're going to shape the work before we start building it. But now that we're in it, I it just felt like I was like, oh, man, what's the right tool for this job to organize all this work? And yeah. even like, what does it look like day-to-day? Because uh, it almost feels like, you and I should be on more calls almost just to like talk things out. Yeah. I think that's still a big unknown for us is how do we, yeah. What's, what's the cadence like on this? And, you know, I think the question you had when we were going through our, our document that we're building about this feature is I think your, your, your main unknown was like, where, how do you, where do you start? Mm -hmm. Um, Which I guess I just sort of, I didn't really think about that. Because to me, it there was a starting point, but I think after we we talked about it, and I explained how I would start building it. Yeah, kind of made more sense. It, it, um, yeah, I was thinking like, what view? Like, would you start with building a specific view, or would yeah. you, you know, would you start with the model and just go from there? Yeah, I think I sort of explained it as like more of an inside out method, where you're sort of starting with like this the the core piece of it. Hmm building some fairly janky views and rails and just like using it as almost like a sketch pad. Yeah. Like we know, we know what we want to accomplish. Um, not necessarily exactly how, but like got to start somewhere and rails rails is very good about, you know, prototyping pretty quickly and testing things out. Yeah. And you actually got fairly, fairly far. Like what did you, what do you kind of have right now? There's a couple views. There's a new model. Um, adapted some old code to kind of be used along with this. Um, but it, you know, it's it's these views that you have to manually type in a URL to go to. There's no links. There's no navigation built in for it yet. You got to. It's a basic a basic form and a basic list of stuff, and you can remove an item. Uh, the new model, the new, uh, you know, the new piece of data that gets created. There's some things that happen behind the scenes to send an email, but like, there's not a lot of the lower level like permissions and stuff like that that doesn't really need to be there yet, just to test it out. 
So like pretty much any, you know, we haven't deployed this, obviously. It's only locally that we can use it. Mm-hmm. But this feature will be locked down to certain accounts and like that's not in place at all. There's no, there's nothing like that. So it's, it's just very basic so that we can get to a point where we can probably deploy something to staging so that we can test it out in a real environment, test out the flows, test out, you know, does this, does this work? How does this feel? Uh, now we're kind of dancing around what we're building. I think we've talked about this in the past. Uh, I think, I think we could talk about it. Although just a, a quick sidebar, uh, cause people have asked, you know, how about us being a transparent startup and how that feels. I will say as at this point, I think initially the idea of being transparent was really beneficial for us. At this point, I'm starting to feel a little bit more paranoid. I know, yeah, I, I feel the same way. About what, even talking on this podcast, and it's going to suck in some ways because even talking on this podcast about what we're doing, you, yeah, you can go a little bit crazy thinking that people competitors are going to be listening and and you know doing things that you're doing or taking note or right whatever uh and i'm still not decided about that there's part of me that wants to be like ah it's fine for us to just talk about everything and you know we're still going to be far enough ahead that it's not going to matter yeah but is it is it too early in our cycle to to even know whether mm-hmm. or not this thing is going to be launch. launch. I mean, not, it might not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially if we use that circuit breaker technique, which yeah. is if it's not and, done, we just put it and off. And we could start testing it out and be like, you know what, this doesn't actually work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, because I think it is more interesting for listeners if we tell them what we're building and even on the revenue front, we've been sharing all of our revenue numbers. I think recently that's been, I know this is a big sidebar, but uh, I think recently that's bugged me more. I know I, I, it feels less and less comfortable and I don't know why. Like there's obviously these bigger companies that are making millions of dollars a month that are still fine with it. I don't, I can't really put a finger on it. Yeah, yeah. Like ConvertKit is fine with sharing their numbers, and they have huge numbers and Buffer as well. I think part of it is that it's ended up causing me more kind of public drama because because people can see it they make assumptions about what's because there's only a little bit of the story there, even though you can see how much revenue we're making every month and everything else. um, There's only a little bit of the story there. And, but all folks are seeing is, Oh, you guys are at, you know, 25 K a month. That's a big deal. And one thing Jordan Gall said from bootstrapped web He's like, listen, like most folks don't realize that even at 100K MRR, there is still a lot of expenses that people don't see, a lot of, you know, even the idea of paying taxes and affiliates and infrastructure. Like, did you see ConvertKit's AWS bill? 
Did you see that post? Oh, that was really, yeah, we should link to that post. That was really interesting. Yeah. And there, it, and someone today has a, it kind of, it kind of blew my mind. I mean, I, I've obviously been trying to keep our costs low, but man, <laughs> that was, I would, I would, it'd be great to have all that power. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it would wipe us out. Yeah. It's like their bill's like 65 grand or something. Yeah. Just their database bill was like 25,000 a month. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Their relational database service, 19,000 a month. That's like almost as much yeah. as we make in a month, right? I know. Uh, yeah. I'll definitely link to this. So, anyway. Let's close the sidebar, but I don't really have any conclusions except that, yeah, I'm I'm starting to feel less comfortable about it. And uh, I think the other thing is that I think initially it was helpful for the bootstrapping community. And I think it was also made sense because a lot of our customers were in tech. But now yeah. looking at our in our inbound it's just we that is not really our market anymore. Most of those folks wouldn't care. Right. And in some ways it would even now we're talking to bigger enterprise companies and I think if they knew it would almost hurt our our pitch to them, you know? It's like, oh, well these guys these guys are making less than we spend on, you know, uh putting fresh bananas in the kitchen every month for employees. <laughs> Right. So we got a we got a message in in our support system. I think it was just like one day it was like, is it really just you two building this? <laughs> <laughs> uh, which I think part of me is cool with that part. Uh, yeah, because you know I don't I don't want to pretend we're something we're not. And even with these big enterprise companies, it's fun for me to be able to say, you know, like we're a small company. Don't don't expect. You know, don't expect that we have 300 folks working here that are, you know, uh, like this is who we are. And it does allow us to be a lot more relaxed. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. I mean, I think we'll probably, we can talk about whatever we're building as soon as it makes sense. Do we have something to show or something to preview or mm-hmm. once we know more, once we know, have a better idea. But um, yeah, totally. I guess back to the whole, back to the whole. Yeah. So back to shaping. First, first cycle. Uh yeah, I mean, I'm generally, I think, po- feeling pretty positive yeah, about it. Yeah, I am too. I, I did like the idea that we we had, we, this is the most it feels like we've thought about an upcoming feature. And these touchstones we put into Clubhouse, our project management software, are different than I've done this in the past. Like we put in these unknowns and... So now we have mm-hmm. a place to collect all this information that we're finding out about, you know, this research we're doing. Because we're still in this phase of the project where we're, there's tons of unknowns. We're figuring stuff out. Yeah, I mean, we, we have a very, we know what the destination is, but not necessarily like the exact directions to get there. So <laughs> um, there are still a lot of unknowns as we build this thing out, I think. And I think that's going to be, that's going to kind of inform how often we talk. Mm-hmm. Like I asked you this today and I was like, you know, are we, are we still just talking once a week and then the rest of the time we're just building or, you know, does it make sense to just hop on a call when it makes sense if we're both available Yeah, just to, you know, share a screen and run through some 
some prototypes or just talk about something that came up that's like, oh, we thought maybe we could do this, but mm-hmm. actually it has to be this way or like this probably won't work or this might be potentially really confusing for somebody to use. Yeah. I think that makes sense because, I mean, really the, a lot of this is about what works for us as a team and to have, whenever it's possible, to have kind of high fidelity information being shared, that seems helpful. And maybe sometimes that's a call. Uh, I record a lot of videos and, you know, that that can be an effective tool. Sometimes it's just text, but a call and screen share just seems to make sense if if it's just a quick like, hey, you got, you know, five minutes to look at this, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're small enough that, you know, we still have really big chunks of time of unbroken focus if we want it. Yeah. So I think if that ever started to, you know, get hurt, then, um, yeah, we would want to uh, adjust it. But right now it's seems like, yeah, let's jump on a call. Let's figure this out. So, yeah, we'll, uh, I guess we'll, you know, see how it goes. I'm cautiously optimistic. There's obviously other ways to do feature building and yeah. in project management. Yeah, but, there does um, seem to be lots to like about it. So we'll keep updating folks on that. Let's do a little bit of follow-up from last episode. I think I think that could be interesting. So yeah. one response we got, we, we were talking about this new Supercast business and one listener wrote in and by the way we love it when folks write in and and email their thoughts they were wondering if we were a little bit biased uh in terms of discounting the idea of a market for supercast because we we kind of discounted supercast a little bit or at least i did and then immediately brought up how successful patreon has been and so right they were wondering like what's the difference between those two like i was saying that Supercast doesn't pass the mom test, which is uh, this book that Rob Fitzpatrick wrote, which basically says people will continue to do what they've already been doing. It's much less likely that if they say, oh, if they, if they promise you some sort of future behavior, that it'll actually come true. Yeah, I, I think it's worth addressing that because anyone else who's building a SaaS company might be in a similar situation. Like, why not? Go, you know, Patreon's doing great. Why not just go after that market? Yeah, I mean, I, I hope we didn't come off too negative. I mean, obviously, like, I think it's cool that it's cool that they built a product, and I hope it does well. I mean, more, you know, more podcasting is better for everyone yeah. in the space. Um, and I tried, I, I tried one out too. I, I should link this up. Uh, I I did a demo of Glow.fm. Uh, it was it was cool. Like I used it, I'm like, oh wow, this is really cool. And maybe if we weren't using Patreon, maybe we we would use it. Uh, there was definitely right. some cool things about it. I think the difference is that Patreon is venture backed. They have forty seven million dollars, and they got that money because they were really creating a new product category. I think most bootstrap businesses, especially, should not pursue that strategy. Uh, I actually have, I was just rereading Stuart Butterfield's We Don't 
sell saddles here essay. Do you remember that famous <laughs> essay of his? No. Okay. I've got a pretty good tweet thread on it and I'll include that as well. But the whole, the, the, the kind of highlighted piece is where he says, what Slack is selling is not the software product, not the set of features, specific implementation, because he says there's just not that many buyers for the software product. He's speaking back in 2014. And then in brackets, he says, people buy software to address a need they already know they have or perform a specific task that they need to perform, whether they, that is tracking sales contracts or editing video. So in this essay, he's basic, Stuart is saying, that's not what Slack's about. Slack is creating a new category. We're selling, you know, we're not selling a group chat system. We're selling organizational change. And more power to them. That's, that's uh, trying to carve out this whole new idea, this whole new paradigm that's never been tried right. before. But as I was reading that, I was like, wait a second. <laughs> Bootstrap startups are different. And anyone building a smaller software company, the goal is to, not to change the way people behave. It's to recognize where people are already in motion and to build solutions for the direction they're already headed. Mm-hmm. Uh, like we're, we're not creating the waves, we're riding them. Right. Yeah, that's a good distinction. And I think that distinction holds true here for Patreon too. They, you know, Patreon is trying to create a whole new category. They're business model isn't sustainable. They're losing tons and tons. Right. I was just going to ask that. Are they, are they successful? I mean, they're successful in one metric in that they are like, they're the go-to platform for this, but they're not a sustainable business. Yeah. So even with all that funding, they haven't figured out a way to make it work. Uh, and I think the third thing that applies to Patreon is they're not just for podcasters, they're for all creators. So they have a huge potential audience of video right. creators, journalists, musicians. And so from a VC's perspective, Patreon may have passed the mom test in that there are thousands of creators actively looking for a way to earn a living. There's evidence and momentum with Kickstarter and Gumroad and, and other things. So a venture capitalist might go, okay, this passes the mom test because we can see all of these creators in motion. But from an individual entrepreneur's perspective, especially a bootstrapper, uh, Patreon wouldn't have passed the mom test because, you know, most artists and creatives aren't making any money. Only 2% of creators right now on Patreon make a living wage. And so from that perspective, you know, you might be able to evaluate it as a business opportunity and go, okay, well, maybe there's not enough here for us to bet on that direction. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Again, we could be wrong. Uh, Supercast might be a big success. Glow.fm is really cool if you're trying to create a paid podcast. Uh, of course, the, the, the challenge most podcasters have is like, especially the folks that are pursuing that kind of model, is you just need a lot of listeners. It seems like such a hard market to create because the volume is not there like i i have a hard time believing that these popular podcasts will just want to switch to this private model where people pay like they already have a huge audience it seems to be working well for them i, I maybe maybe they know something i don't or we don't but yeah it just seems like 
it seems like a tough road. Yeah. There are people for ideological reasons that don't want to uh, use Patreon. Um, and so there might be a market there. But again, we're talking about such a tiny group of people. Like the percentage of podcasters that want to monetize in this way is already quite small. And then of that group, the percentage that have an audience big enough to have any sort of success using that model is even smaller. Uh, and so, yeah, it just, it still to me feels like a hard, a hard sell, but yeah, I'm, I'm just, yeah, just updating folks. I, I, I think what's more interesting is for people looking to start a business as they're evaluating opportunities just because a big venture backed company is currently making waves in a given category doesn't mean that's good evidence to jump into that category. I get, I'm, I've just been really wary and I guess a little negative of that whole model these days, especially with places like Uber and Lyft and like companies like they seemed great at the beginning, they're venture backed. It's like seemed to be addressing this need that people had. Uh, and it just, it keeps getting worse and worse. Like it, it, it's creating more problems than it is solving and they're not making it. It's not a sustainable business. So the, the venture backed, I mean, it's always a gamble, you know, creating, you're creating a new market essentially, but, um, and that's, that's the, that's the gamble these investment firms are taking. Yeah, exactly. For Uh, most people that are building a business or want to start a business just so they have, you know, maybe a better life, maybe more freedom, maybe, you know, uh, they're just tired of working for someone else. Those are not good bets for sure. Right. And uh, I, I, I think one thing that I'm just presenting for people to think about is the different, how you evaluate an opportunity. And one of the ways you want to evaluate the opportunity is, okay, my potential customers, what are they currently using? Yeah. What, how did they get to that decision? Do they pay for it easily? How many, how many decision makers are there? How often yeah. do they switch? I mean, Supercast, I would hope, did a lot of research before they built the whole thing. I mean, they must have seen a need and talked to people and... and um, otherwise that's a huge, yeah, which gamble. is another good point. Like all of us folks, armchair quarterbacking on the side, don't know what other people are seeing. Most of the guesses people have about transistors business are so wrong. Like people guess about what kind of customers we have, uh, you know, what, what, where we get our customers, uh, what kind of people stick around tons and uh, tons and tons of assumptions that, for me, seeing the actual data, which is who is actually signing up, you know, uh, where do they come from? What are they trying to mm-hmm. accomplish? Most of the stuff people guess on the outside is just, they, it's wrong. They don't, yeah. <laughs> because they're not seeing the data we see. So this could be a case of that too, where there's some data that we're not seeing. Let's take a break. Hey, John, I got a question. Yep. What sound does a honey badger make? I would think a high-pitched screeching noise. You think kind of like a monkey? Like, yeah, I think so. 
Okay, well, click on that link there and listen to this. You can even fast forward a little bit just to listen. What what does that? What's the honey badger actually sound like? How would you describe uh, that sound? A, a kind of like a monkey, but like a dog barking and or breathing loudly. Just sounds like a wild animal. It does. Well, that's because the folks at HoneyBadger.io are wild. See what I did there about DevOps monitoring. They do exception monitoring. They do uptime monitoring. They do check-in monitoring. If you have a web app, you need it. Head over to our friends at HoneyBadger.io and start a free trial. And let them know that we sent you. Really like those guys. They got a good show too, FounderQuest, which I think should be starting soon. Hey, yeah, HoneyBadger, where's your podcast? You said you're starting up in the fall again. Waiting for that new episode. We also had a listener feedback about this, and I think it's an uh, interesting question. Uh, you mentioned the need to accrue 10K MRR in a reasonable amount of time. Do you care to elaborate on this time threshold? Is it different for every company or market? You know, if at six months you haven't met X amount of MRR, should you just quit? And what year should you quit? Hmm. So this is an interesting one. Um. I think obviously this really depends on what you want to get out of this, like the outcome you're looking for, and um, the market you're in, the product you're selling, whether or not you're willing to take a loan or investment. Right, yeah, yeah. How much it's physically wearing on you to work on this, if it's your other job or... Yeah, I think that's the part I was going to bring up. I think for us now in retrospect, that first year where we were working on Transistor, but you were working a full-time job and um, I was focusing a lot on Transistor, but we weren't really paying ourselves anything. Right. That was hard on both of us. It was, yeah. I think we were lucky in that we got to where we were a lot faster than we thought i mean we had a we had a five-year goal of getting to where we were right yeah i don't know i mean at the end of that year if we were only at like five thousand a month i i don't know we might have just called it quits and yeah said this isn't working i mean it's it's yeah i guess it does depend on you know what you want to get out of it like i think we both knew we wanted to do this full time and, you know, leave our, leave our job or, you know, for you work on um, your other stuff a little less and focus more on this. But had that not been the plan, like, and we were okay, just working on it on the side slowly, like, you know, maybe we would have kept going and it would have eventually gotten to the MR we wanted, but a lot slower. Yeah. I think there's two good case studies here. Uh, one is to look up uh, Ted Pitts at MoraWare uh, has a great blog post on how they grew that. It's a really niche SaaS business. And it took them a long time. It took them, I think, 10 years to get to kind of true profitability. Um, and it's interesting seeing their perspective. And so if you read that blog post and you go, you know what, I'd be okay with that kind of growth then you know go for it that that's one path 
The other path would be Jason Cohen, the founder of WP Engine, who says, you know, if you're two years in and you still need a day job, so meaning you haven't hit in North America as a solo founder 10K MRR, by definition, this business doesn't have good fundamentals. And I think there is something about that that resonates with me because it's so easy to chase an idea that's just never going to work. And increasingly, the business people that I see that have started multiple businesses that are successful, folks like Jason Cohen and Richard Branson, they test things out. And if it doesn't feel right, they get out right away. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is because so much of the potential for growth is built into the market itself. And so you feel right away what it's like when you, even as an, a small little independent who's just getting started out and nobody knows who you are, there's this a certain momentum that you feel when there's just a lineup of people that want what you have. And so I know I've given this example before, but like if it's a hot day at the beach and there's an ice cream stand already selling ice cream and they've got a huge lineup of a hundred people and then you pull up with your little bicycle and your, your popsicles and your bicycle, you know, uh, (laughs) situation People are going to see you and are going to be like, oh, I'll just go over to that. What do you call those? Those bicycle, popsicle things? Cart? Carts, yeah. Cart, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm going to go to John's ice cream cart because that line's a lot shorter, right? Yeah. That kind of momentum is, I think, is important for businesses. Um, you know, you could start like Honey Badger, they started this company that does, you know, air tracking and all this stuff. And they had big competitors. And I think people were like, well, we'll go with Honey Badger because they have better customer support. The, the That big enterprise company, they take forever to get back to us. Honey Badger got yeah. back to us right away. There should be this feeling of, you know, there's there's something happening. There's some momentum. I always think of this story... I saw on TV, uh, there's a Canadian version of the Shark Tank called Dragon's Den. Mm-hmm. And uh, this couple had been working on this idea for something like 15 years. It was sports trivia booklets that were supposed to be sold in the grocery aisle, like grocery lineup. And the, the dragons are asking, you know, these business people are asking these entrepreneurs, okay, like, what are your numbers? And this couple is talking about their numbers. And it's just, you can tell this business is not going anywhere. They've invested all this money. They have all this sunk cost in it. And they've been doing it for 15 years. And now they're trying to get this investment from, you know, this TV show. And the people on the panel were like, why have you spent so much time working on this idea? Like, clearly the fundamentals are no good here. And I think it's easy for us as human beings. Like I've fallen into this where you start a business and you've just invested so much money and time and the numbers aren't good, but you just fool yourself into keep going. 
yeah, it's it's hard to give up something that you've put so much time and effort and yeah, energy into. So I think again, that question's gonna the answer to that question is going to depend. And maybe like you need some sort of circuit breaker for killing an idea. Yeah, or maybe you could hand it off to someone else or or you know, come up with a situation where it's like, hey, uh I don't know, selling is the right idea, but uh, if it's, it's a, product a product that, that works, works and, and, and it makes, makes money, money, maybe, maybe someone, someone else, else could, would want to take it over. And, and, yeah, there, there's uh, there's some companies that have started buying suites of SaaS products. And so, you know, a, a product that's doing three to 5,000 MRR might be a great fit for someone like that. Yeah, I think related is this, this Twitter thread from John, I think his last name is Young Fook, John Young Fook. Mm-hmm. Um, he's quite well known in the indie maker space. And he just talked about shutting down his app talk show. And he had this great launch where there were like, let's see, 4,000 signups. And so initially he was really encouraged, like, oh, wow, this is great. But less than 1% of users ended up making uh, a video of themselves. It's a video product. And so the activation was really low. And Mm -hmm. so he made the decision to, you know, it was four months of coasting on zero revenue, two weeks after a pivot that failed to positively affect any metrics. He's killing it today, Friday the 13th. And to me, this is the right decision. He tried something out. He ran it for four months. It wasn't working. He tried to pivot, and the, you know, it it just wasn't there. And mm-hmm. instead of like continuing to pivot or continuing to try to grind on this thing, he's going to put his energy into something else. Right. Yeah. I think I think we probably would have come to that same conclusion. Yeah. And maybe maybe it would have been easier for us to do it together knowing that both of us sort of have a hard time giving up (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah yeah exactly exactly um cool so yeah i'll put all of that in the show notes uh anything else we should talk about this week with one more question here yeah i think this is the one i'm looking at regarding the the player we were launched we launched a updated embeddable player with a dark mode in it so you can toggle between light and dark um it actually includes a number of other upgrades and and improvements um but we had i kind of wanted to get it done before we started this six-week cycle but because it just been like i had been sort of slowly working on it when i could um and we had someone had tweeted at you right a question uh, I see that transistor. I see that transistor spends a lot of time developing the web player, adding new features like dark mode, etc. I was wondering, how is the percentage of listens on the web compared to native apps? Is the time you spend on that worth the listens you get? Yeah, which so is, is what's your response to that? Qu- <laughs> I I can see I can see where this person's coming from. I mean, we have a lot of other things we want to work on. The web player is still, it's still pretty popular. I mean, a lot of people embed it. It's a, it's also a very, like the number of listens aside, it's 
it's also a very public facing like entry point to transistor that's visible, you know, around the web. And, um, plus for me, it's like kind of a fun thing to work on because it's a, it's a very like isolated little project and I get to experiment with, you know, new technology. I learned, I learned view JS for the, uh, playlist player. Yeah. I think you kind of have to look at it in a couple different ways as far as the value of spending time on it. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that's interesting about this question to me is it brings up this idea of there being different types of features that can perform different types of roles. So let's just say we don't even, I don't even know the numbers off the top of my head uh, about, you know, what percentage, I mean, I'm guessing for most podcasts, the web player is five to 20% of their listens, but the player has an outsized role in marketing the service and and also plays an outsized role in why people sign up. Mm -hmm. People hire Transistor to give them a beautiful web player that they can embed on their website. Even if only 5% of their listens comes from that web player, it's still important to them. Mm-hmm. And it might even play in an out like emotionally, it's playing a much greater role than it is functionally. But that emotional job to be done is still super important. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we get question we get questions about it almost every day. It's important for product people to realize that not everything we're building is purely functional. Sometimes people just want to have a really nice audio player on their website because it makes mm-hmm. them feel good. And yeah, that's part of the value that we're providing is, yep. yeah, we want the functional ability for people to find your audio and be able to listen, it, listen to it. We want to be able to distribute it for you. Those are all functional things. The emotional part is people can go to my website and my audio is published there. I feel like a, uh, a radio personality, Right. Like, hey, if you visit justinjackson.ca, you can listen to me on the radio, right? There's something (laughs) about that that is emotional, and it's one of the reasons people hire us. So uh, I definitely think it's, I mean, the player to me is something we're going to continue to iterate on probably forever. Yeah, I mean, there's still, you know, even after this six-week cycle is over, there's, I have a number of things in my head that I still want to work on for it just tiny tiny improvements and compatibility with other websites and good it's a good good question though yeah yeah this is great having all folks reply this show is interactive so reach out to us however you'd like uh if you want to message us privately and get to kind of top of mind our Patreon supporters can message us anytime they'd like, and they do. Uh, John, why don't you thank our Patreon supporters? All right, yeah, thanks as always to everyone. Um, we have Matt Buckley from NiceThings.io, Russell Brown. I'm going to screw this one up again. Evandro Sass, Sassy. Sassy. Pradyumna Schimbecker, or PD for short, Noah Prail, David Colgan, Robert Simplicio, Colin Gray from Alitu.com, Josh Smith, Ivan Krakovic, Brian Ray, Miguel Pedrofita, 
Shane Smith, Austin Loveless, Simon Bennett, Corey Haynes, Michael Sitber, Paul Jarvis, and Jack Ellis, Dan Buda, my brother. DanBuda.com. Our friend Darby Frey, Samori Augusto, Dave Young, Brad from Canada, Sammy Schuchert, Mike Walker, Adam Devander, Dave Junta. Junta. Kyle Fox uh, from GetRewardful.com. And our sponsors this week, Active Campaign and Honey Badger. Thanks again for listening. We will see you next week. Podcast hosting is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash Justin and get 15% off your first year.